0: Since I can remember, I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Huh? I'm as as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? What if it's a warrior? This is the. Human... Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because
1: I am polite. And yeah, I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got
0: an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Nothing woo Not anything wrong with us.
2: Because
1: he has a lot of chip spots. Oh, that. Monday, December 8th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18 year young adult survivor
2: of brain cancer. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listen to the
1: archives on stupidcancershow.org. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults would die with of cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time. And tonight's show, the Affordable Care Act. One of the most important pieces of health care legislation in our nation's history is going to be discussed tonight. The existing ongoing challenges, implementation, state-specific information, and issues with enrollment in the marketplace. We'll be uh, joined by cancer rights attorney and co-founder and COO of T.O. Cancer, Monica Bryant, and a Survivor Spotlight tonight on Sven Regal. And with that, our self-ingratiating applause. Good evening, everyone. Hello. Hello, Matthew. Radio show team, stupid cancer people. Assemble. (laughs) Hi, Mal. Hello. Mallory Rivera and Mr. Dr. Reverend Sean Shapiro. Hey, man. How you doing? Swell. What's going on? Not much.
2: Just uh, getting cold. (laughs) (laughs) For the people listening. And now for the weather.
3: You hear teeth chattering.
2: It is probably
1: about 45 degrees in this room. Yeah, the studio heat is not working for some reason. Usually it's 90 degrees in here, especially
3: in the summer. There's there's never any in between. It's always
2: one
3: extreme or the other. That
2: one nice day in March. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good day. It was a good day. Anyway, how's everyone doing? Doing well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there's holidays coming up in a couple of weeks today. Can you believe that? Passover, not Passover, uh, Hanukkah next Monday, next Monday night. I can't, I can't I really so drop, I can't drop the Hanukkah bomb without the but
4: anyway,
1: Happy almost Hanukkah next Monday. We'll be celebrating live on the air. The Chayim, The Chaim. Uh And a bunch of protests. The city is kind of grinding to a halt. Looking forward to trying to get home tonight. Yes, protests everywhere. Yeah. I mean, for, for for the right reasons, but they're still quite annoying and get in the way of everything. Yeah. But not progress, perhaps. No, not progress, perhaps. Exactly. According Moving progress cancers, forward. Yes, yes. Well, uh, we are really excited uh, because uh, U.S. News and World Report ran a wonderful piece about social media and young adult and youth cancer, and we were the centerpiece in our mobile app Instapeer. Was proudly profiled along with our friends at uh, uh, I Had Cancer. Myla Lopez's website, IHadCancer.org. Uh, I, I think it's .com actually. Uh, what Next? Dave Waskoluski's group, uh, Mass Kickers. Our friend Eric Galvez and the Mass Kickers group It was a really powerful article. They they posted it from the actual U.S. News Twitter handle, which has like I don't know eighty ninety thousand followers. It was really well received. So special thanks to the amazing journalists uh, that picked up the story and published it for us, you could check it out on our Pinterest feed at stupidcancer.org slash feed, or I think it's on our Facebook wall now at stupidcancer.org uh, slash, uh, I'm sorry, facebook.com slash stupidcancer. But uh, really good piece. And then there was another piece on U.S. News featuring one of our board members, David Fuhrer, who is a two-time testicular cancer survivor. So that is also on our news feed. So kudos to Dave, and thanks again, U.S. News. You guys really rock. So, uh, what else we got? We got the cancer faker, another cancer faker,
3: right? Yeah. Nothing
1: but positive news this week. The cancer faker, this girl raised $17,000 faking brain cancer. And uh, man, we got nearly, nearly like 300,000 views on the post on our wall. Obviously, lots of hate, but rightfully so.
3: Yeah, almost 700 comments.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a real touch point getting a nerve right down in there. Faking cancer. Are you kidding me? Well, we do this all the time. It's like these pitchforks. Where we used to have like, douchebag alerts because this is clearly it still happens. It's amazing. They said that she was inspired by Brittany Maynard, but that oh, is God. not even
2: yeah. remotely okay. That's like uh,
3: no. the
1: guy who killed Lennon being inspired by to catch, a,
2: or, catch her
3: in the rye. Right, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to catch
1: her
0: in the mockingbird.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to catch her in the mockingbird. Yes, exactly. Well done. Um, but uh, we are also really excited to mention that uh, Chasing Life Christmas, yes. Christmas special tomorrow. tomorrow night ABC Family at uh, what is it eight seven Central?
3: I believe it is at eight o'clock. I've
1: been promoting eight seven Central. <laughs> I hope it's right. Italia Ricci's been in town this entire uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow to do like non-stop news blitz promotions for the show. So we love the show. The show has been. Um, a real great beacon for young adult cancer. I think the dialogue it's inspiring online is, is, is necessary. And the most interesting part of that, I'd love your thoughts guys, is the, um, the fact that she doesn't look as sick as she's quote, supposed to quote, and this surprisingly unanticipated backlash of cancer survivors who didn't look sick while they were in treatment. Where is this coming from? On the Facebook wall. There's a alive to like this ongoing seven like hundreds of comments but but there's a big push for like you don't have to look sick to be sick it's finally becoming like a, a discussion point now and some of the comments are like well she doesn't look sick enough most cancer patients look sick and all these people like i had cancer i didn't look sick my sister died looking healthy and it's been a real interesting conversation to have. I think this is the first time that's happened, too.
3: Or even last week um, when we were talking with um, Mariah, Sarah saying that one of her friends was on a clinical trial who had amazing skin the whole time she was sick because of the trial she was on. Right.
1: Last week she Mariah Dearman, who is a, um, a wig stylist and beautician and esthetician with a lot of cancer patients. Um, our, uh, one of her clients is a very own former co-host, Annie Goodman. But you're right, Mel. She she talked about how it you you don't want to look sick when you are sick, and sometimes you don't have to look sick, but you don't look sick to start. Um, but again, I think that's the interesting part about the narrative the show is raising. But the truth be told, um, April, the character on, on Chasing Life, is going to look very sick very soon, and um, not to cater to the crowd, but of course because they want to portray that it's pretty terrible get cancer, and you can still try to look good, even though you might be going health. hell. So,
3: um, and the show is on at 9, 8 Central. It's 9, 8 Central. Yeah. All right.
1: Thank you for correcting me on the air. 9, 8 Central tomorrow night, uh Chasing Life ABC Family, Ty Ricci, and the entire uh, cast and crew. Really powerful show. You should check it out if you haven't already. And uh that's super exciting. And uh, finally, of course, registration for CancerCon. We did another push today. I'm not sure if we got any more registrations. I think we can check later. But uh, we are doing really well. We're, uh, Ali said we're close to up to 50 people out oh, of welcome. 500. So we're one fifth there. Am I doing one tenth? One tenth there. Thank you very much. Almost. Much? I can't do math. Lots of plurals. Anyway, but that's exciting. Cancercon.org and Sean, would you like to uh, talk about the fundraising for Cancercon? If people should choose to do so.
4: Yeah, well, I have a really exciting uh, news story to report. We have raised over $7,000 thus far through the VIP Club. Wow. And
1: what is the VIP
4: Club? The VIP Club is a great program. It's a way to get involved and raise funds for CancerCon and Stupid Cancer. Uh, There's various levels that you can hit. You get all sorts of cool rewards like travel reimbursement to attend CancerCon uh, so if you want to learn more and, and play a vital role to our efforts, you can uh, check it out at CancerCon.org. And, uh, yeah, we've raised $7,000 thus far, and last year we raised roughly 4500 So we've almost doubled that
1: um, to date. So we're excited. That's pretty cool. And I guess we should talk about Giving Tuesday was last Tuesday, the day after last week's show. Yes. And Giving Tuesday is like the Internet donation day after Black Friday and Happy Monday or whatever.
4: Yep, that's right.
1: And so, uh, you know,
4: you have Cyber Monday
1: and then shortly after
4: it is Giving Tuesday and it was a success. We highlighted 10 different survivors,
1: asked $10 to give and and help young adults get busy living. And it was a huge success. I read somewhere that Giving Tuesday generated $45 million for charity across the U.S. Yeah, it was up, I believe, 36 percent from last year. Crazy. Yeah, People are doing it. Yeah, it's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, that that's our uh, that's our show. Have a good. Anyway, thanks so much. That's good banter there. Uh, I'm really I'm juiced about tonight's show because we're going to talk to uh, get spin out in just a second about this Affordable Care Act. Talk about a polarizing issue, especially when you talk about it in the form of Obamacare, which is the same thing as the Affordable Care Act, which people actually do support if you don't say Obamacare. But first, it is my pleasure to introduce. Our first guest tonight, Sven, I'm going to butcher his name, but he's going to correct me on the Sven Regal was diagnosed with sickle cancer in July of 2014 and has been undergoing three cycles of BEP chemotherapy. I guess we'll find out about that. He began live tweeting in September to help build awareness about the chemotherapy process, and he's joining us here tonight. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Sven Regal. Sven.
0: Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. I, am I you did not am I my butcher my name.
1: Finn?
2: Is, no, is you it real? Okay,
0: so right on the head.
1: Very nice. Well, I'm, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us, and very courageous. A lot of people are intimidated to come on board this uh, this broadcast, so new into their diagnosis. But you have been very bold and brazen in uh, wearing this on your sleeve for all the right reasons. And I'd, I'd love you to just tell us the story. How did this crazy journey start?
0: Yeah, so you know, I actually had done my physical probably in May. You know, didn't really see anything during my regular checkup, my annual checkup with my doctor. But one of the things he noted was, he goes, you know, you're at the the prime age for testicular cancer. And you know, and I knew a little bit about it. Um, and and I, you know, I knew that you should be checking, you know, regularly for, for lumps and things. And about two months later, in July, I was just going to the bathroom and I noticed something sort of abnormal and. What I decided to do is I told my wife, which was actually very hard to do. You would think it'd be a little bit of an embarrassment, you know. I had this thing on my testicle. What's going on uh, with myself? And I ended up, she ended up being very supportive. And we went to the the emergency room the next day, and they did the ultrasound. And 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 you know, a few hours later, after they had looked at everything, you, you got, I got the sort of the general diagnosis that they thought this was cancer. And, and naturally, my heart just sank. And I, you, know, you hear cancer and you think it's going to be, you know, this is the, this is it, this is the end of me. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm getting surgery to have it removed. And then I realized we had, had spread to my lymph nodes. And it was really just sort of a, an eye-opening experience. And once I got to the, the part with chemotherapy, I decided to, to live tweet my entire process to really sort of tell people what's going on with me and sort of build awareness about the importance of early detection. Cause at that point I realized, you know, it's super important for other people to know that, you know, a cancer doesn't have to be a death sentence, you know, especially for something like testicular cancer, it can really um, just help. I can really just help people become a little bit more aware that if you catch it early, it's not really that difficult to go through.
1: So I, I guess, my my questions to you are and congratulations on you know early detection is key of course and particular has an advantage over some other cancers where you can do self exam and I guess the barrier there could be the, the I guess the the doctor that takes you seriously but it sounded like you had the right doctor who listened to you and sent you in the right direction so props to that guy for doing that for you um, absolutely were, were, were you um, Given any uh, discussion about fertility preservation, you mentioned you were married. Not that you have to be married yes. with kids, but I, I just bring it up.
0: Yeah, so I, I am married, but we don't have any kids yet. Um, so a couple of people had advised me to do, do the sperm banking, and I highly recommend doing it um, just because it's sort of like a catch-safe in case things don't work out in the long run in terms of you know, the sperm coming back um, after after the chemotherapy is done. Um, so yeah, I was advised to, to do this to, the, to do the sperm banking.
1: So you did have an orchiectomy. Um, did they take out both, or you just opted for one? The other one was healthy.
0: Just yeah, just the left one.
1: Have you considered, or was there a discussion about the prosthetic uh, replacements? I know that's become something that's a, a much more comfortable conversation that patients have now with urologists and neuro-oncologists.
0: It's something I researched on my own, but didn't bring up, and I sort of had read mixed reviews on it and I didn't think of it was going to be a huge part of me, so I ended up just not doing it. I ended up not bringing it up with the doctor um It's something he did not bring up, but um you know I've seen mixed you know stories on the online and with other people um who've had you know different experiences with it.
1: You know tonight's show is about the Affordable Care Act, and it's interesting because one of the one of the um the articles in there discusses how any woman with breast cancer under forty uh, is entitled to uh, reconstructive surgery at no cost for the balance of their life, but nothing like that exists for men. So if you were to have this uh, reconstructive uh, prosthetic procedure, you have to pay for it out of pocket, license, I assume, correct?
0: I assume so. Yeah, it's not. It's not something I got um, really into. But one of the things that my insurance did not cover was the sperm banking. Actually. Um that was something I had to pay for fully
1: out of pocket. Right, and that's another thing we'll be discussing tonight, is fertility preservation for men and women is not covered under any circumstances or any insurance anywhere in the country. And you might think that that's some kind of civil liberty we're entitled to because we're such a small percentage of patients that get uh, sick at this age. So uh, I, too, uh, I had to bank my sperm at my own cost, and I paid for frozen sperm for, I don't know, like, Seventeen years, so oh, wow. uh, I know, I know. But I'm glad you did it, and that that's you know a good uh, insurance policy, I suppose. But you will, you don't know yet because you're still in treatment as to um, whether you will retain uh, fertility, correct?
0: Yeah. So I actually just finished my treatment up uh, in November, and so um, so I, I'm finished up, and as of last week, according to my doctor, with regards to the. The, um, the blood tests and everything. I um, I'm cancer-free, which is actually great news. So it's a really good uh, sort of prognosis. But now it's just sort of maintaining the the surveillance program that I've sort of laid out um, with with my doctor. But um, yeah, so it's it's pretty exciting right now.
1: No, and that's that's huge. We like good news. I I put on Facebook that this working at this company, this job is is part tragedy, part miracle. So. It's it's good to have you on the other, other end of that
0: spectrum. Absolutely. I mean, it's good to be, you know, sort of in that situation. And I think, you know, not everybody, I mean, I had a very good positive attitude throughout the entire process. And, you know, like I said, I really tried to put myself out there and let people know that this is, I tried to humanize my chemotherapy and I tried to put, you know, a face to cancer that it doesn't have to be, the sickly and sort of long and tiring process, you know, I tried to be as active as possible throughout the entire process and tried to make the most of it. And, you know, luckily things have worked out well so far. You know, I'm still very early in the surveillance stage and I'm hoping for the best down the line, but I I hope down the line that I can help um, other people sort of get through the same process that I was able to get through.
1: So I couldn't help but notice you work for Twitter
0: I do work Did on they require and, uh, you to,
1: to hashtag yourself and do this? I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. This is completely on my own. <laughs> but naturally, I, I lented myself to to the platform to sort of get the word out.
1: No, and you've done an amazing job. And, and why did you choose a chemo journey? For obvious reasons, of course. But it, it sounds like you want people to really learn what this means and hoping to demystify and destigmatize.
0: Yeah, I think that was my goal. And I think... I think there's a lot of sort of unknowns that come out of getting a cancer diagnosis. And one of those things was people automatically assume that they're going to die because they hear cancer. And like I said, it doesn't always have to be that case. I think there just needs to be a broader awareness that if, you know, if you catch something early, there's a, a greater likelihood that you can be cured. There's a lot of different treatments out there for, for people. And especially young people, I think, um, they typically tend to be healthier and I think they're have a greater chances of pushing through with a great attitude. And, and ultimately what happened, you know, aside from building the awareness is I ended up getting a ton of support um, to the platform, not only from um, people I work with at Twitter, but also um, from, you know, complete strangers, you know, whether they're in a the testicular cancer community or even people like you guys who, who I actually ended up connecting with um, through the platform. So it was a great way to, to, um, to sort of build my own support, which really helped me get through the, those nine weeks.
1: I'm just amazed that the uh, your your handle, uh, Follow Sven, was available. Have you had that for a while?
0: Yeah, I've had that for since, like, 2000, I want to say 2008,
1: 2009. Oh, so um, you were so locked I, in at uh, the start.
0: Yeah, I was an early adopter, I guess.
1: So what has been the response of you choosing to really wear this on their sleeve? A lot of people really tend to shy away and don't want to talk about it and it's still there are there are inklings of whisper campaigns still lingering around. Younger people tend to be more aware of this and sensitive, but how has the response then from your family, from your friends, your coworkers?
0: Oh very positive. Like I couldn't have asked for a better response. I don't think I had any negative commentary or nobody sort of like pulled me aside and said, Why are you doing this? You know, in the beginning, I sort of, I really thought about before I sent before I sent my actual first tweet. I said, um, you know, to myself, should I really be doing this? And I ultimately I said yes, and I said I'm going to help some people, and like I said, it's only going to help me, or it ended up helping me in the long run. But again, overall, the the response I've received has been really good. I've had people come to me that I actually work with at Twitter. Who've had similar situations, which was great to know that there's people sort of who have my back and heard, sort of talk to them privately about sort of their experience. It's just been a really great way to connect with the, the broader um, community of people who are who are going through it. And then also, I hope to you know in the in the future find people who are maybe starting their chemo and maybe either live tweeting or talking about it and give them support.
1: Chemo tweeting, I love it.
0: Chemo tweeting, yep.
1: <laughs> there's your handle. There's your hashtag. We just started the whole
0: campaign. Well, it's the funny thing is, you mentioned the hashtag. Is the my my friends at Twitter they um, created a hashtag called Sven Cancer Packing. So a play on the word Send Cancer Packing, and oh, um, they ended up tweeting with that and tweeting me pictures with with the hashtag. It was really cool, and it's got um, tweets from all over the the country, with from the different offices, showing their support. And it was just a really great moment for me to um, to see the support that I had throughout the entire process. So we sort of had, stuck with that hashtag, but we can use whatever hashtag we like. But for consistency's sake, we've been using Spend Cancer Packing, but I actually just changed it to Sven Cancer Packing since I, I just finished the chemotherapy.
1: Were you uh, treated in Washington?
0: I So I live in Maryland, and I was treated in Annapolis um, and okay. at the Anne Arundel Medical Center. Yep.
1: Were you, uh, I mean, you, were you, you You had oral chemo or you did infusion?
0: I did I did infusion, Yeah. So I did, um, so the BEP, as you may know, is it's three weeks for each cycle with the first week being sort of each day you go for six or seven hours, um, which is really when a lot of the tweeting took place. And then each of the two subsequent weeks of the cycle um, was one day. It was really only about an hour and a half or two hours at most. Um, where I would go in. And, and during some of the shorter weeks, I was actually going into the office and really tried to lead as regular of a life as I could possibly could. You know, if I wasn't going into the office, I was working from home. Um, and I really had a lot of full support from, from my coworkers. I was very, very lucky to have that.
1: And I guess my question then, being young adult, you discovered stupid cancer. I hope you've been able to discover some other young adult-specific support resources in your area or around the country. Um, were you getting... Did you meet anybody around your age at the cancer center or you found the young adult world online largely?
0: Mostly online. I mean, there were a few young adults that were there, but the majority of the people I was able to get in touch with were online. Um, I was actually able to, um, get in touch with Thomas Cantley and he is, um, he was the guy that was pushing the giant testicle across the country. And so we were tweeting back and forth. He actually ended up making a stop by and we visited. And and now I'm working with him on a few things as well. Um, to help build awareness, but, you know, there's a lot you can do online to find other people who are going through the same thing. You, know, you don't have to necessarily have that physical presence, but having that digital presence was really great. Um, and I was lucky to have an Internet connection as well, but uh, I, the, the, most of the people I was able to get in touch with were online.
1: Yeah, Tom's a good friend. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we uh, completely supported his, um, I, I guess, very creative way to raise awareness for testicular cancer. You can put it that way.
0: He's he's a creative guy.
1: Very cool. So where are you uh, now? You're, uh, did you have to take off time from work? Were you able to keep doing your job?
0: Yeah, for the most part, I was able to to, um, to keep my job and, and maintain sort of you know general working hours when I when I had some of these off weeks. So I, I'm pretty much back full time right now. But I, I pretty much worked right through my chemotherapy as much as I could. There's obviously days where I felt more tired than others, but you know. I, again, wanted to break that stigma where you, th- this doesn't completely knock, completely knock you down. And I was very lucky the fact that I responded very well to the chemo, meaning that I didn't have to – it didn't really knock me down as much as it does for some people. But, um, you know, a lot of it, I think, has to attribute to getting all the support that I received.
1: And if I might yeah. ask, you you mentioned you were married, you have a, a partner in life, and uh, how did your wife handle this as a caregiver?
0: She handled it exceptionally well. I, I couldn't ask – to be married to a better person um she sat in the room with me every single day for each one of the treatments especially during those long weeks we did not watch one minute of tv we just enjoyed each other's company she cooked for me she arranged people to visit me she she's unbelievably supportive of everything that i've been doing uh, whether it was actually getting the chemo but even doing things like this with you guys or i've done a couple of other tv interviews as well um she been so supportive in helping get the word out there and really making me recognize that it's important to give and support other people who are going through other life's battles because I've been very fortunate. I I could pay my bills. I could um, I can get the support that I needed. So that I think for me, moving forward with the support of my wife is to help other people get through the same same thing.
1: Well, that is an incredible story. We, we hope that you would both consider coming to CancerCon, which is our – uh, our international convention in, in Denver next April, picture yourself in a uh, room with 600 of you. Uh, <laughs> and it's quite remarkable. We've been doing this for eight years now, and it really has become a, a, a cultural phenomenon for, for the young adult. world. Well, we do a lot of stuff for caregivers, which is why I specifically wanted to ask about your wife, and I would imagine your extended family were deeply engaged and affected by this as well.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely look into it and, and consider it. I would love to come out there.
1: Yeah, and you could live tweet, and because you do that, and that's what you do, right?
0: Exactly. And Nothing like a good old hashtag with with some good content.
1: It's really an inspiring story. I mean, I I just go back to this this generation, our generation. I mean, I was twenty one when I was diagnosed, and I'm forty now, but we do take to the internet we share our stories we're very vocal about this i'm I'm actually surprised you didn't get any backlash because sometimes there's a lot of oversharing but it's not really oversharing people just aren't expecting to have this conversation on a public forum but it sounds like you were able to do it in a way that was inviting and engaging and you built an incredible community for yourself so so bravo for that
0: well thank you i mean i i I couldn't have done it without everybody following me and and giving me the support and i think it gave me a lot of faith in, in humans. You know, I think we're not as bad as we think we are, and, and people are really willing to help out where they can. And, and whether that's donating money or just giving, you know, words of encouragement over Twitter, you know, people are, are great out there. So uh, I, I think the props go to to human beings, not me.
1: Well, again, kudos for everything. Um, we have been speaking with Sven uh, Regal. He's a senior account manager at Twitter diagnosed with testicular cancer stage 2B. This past July, twenty fourteen, just wrapped up his chemo treatments in November. He is uh on Twitter at I'm sorry, your handle again on Twitter is
0: uh at, at follow Sven.
1: At follow Sven and his uh his hashtag is chemo journey. Uh, Sven, really inspiring stuff. Thank you so much for joining us on I look forward to meeting you.
0: Yeah, I look forward to meeting you and thank you for having me.
1: All right, take care. Sven Regal, everybody. All right, Kenny, now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, man.
2: Head on over to events.cpcancer.org. That is events.cpcancer.org. Your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something to be happy in your neck of the woods. And we certainly don't want you missing out. I have no meetups to
1: report. This would be a first. No meetups, huh? Holiday season is upon us. Well, if you'd like to host your own meetup at some point, you can always visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup to learn how. Cancer is lonely. We've got a cure for that. Yes, we're talking about Instapier, our free mobile app that brings instant anonymous one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by cancer. Visit instapier.org and sign up to join our iOS beta testing community. And consider immortalizing yourself in the app as the beta squad backer with a year-end tax-deductible donation of $500. We've
2: launched a news feed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at
1: stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive and we're proud to announce... CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with GiveForward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser for yourself. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community really does actually want to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today.
2: It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. Visit StupidCancerStore.org anytime. Stay nice and warm with our hoodies and other great stuff we have. Coming down the line, visit stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And,
1: and that, that is your stupid,
2: stupid Cancer
1: News. All right. Now the big guns come out. Monica Bryant is a cancer rights attorney and chief operating officer for Triage Cancer, a nonprofit that provides education and resources on all types of cancer, survivors, of issues, please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show returning champion, Monica Bryant. Monica.
3: How's it going?
1: Hello, hello. We never get tired Last of having time. you as a guest on the show.
3: Well, I'm delighted to hear that because I never get tired of being a guest.
1: Okay. What? <laughs> I am really excited to talk about the Affordable Care Act nonstop because it is such a polarizing issue, but no one really has any of the facts or it doesn't seem like anyone has many of the facts. And if you take the politics out of it and look at the just the brass taxes of what it is doing, what it has done, how it has helped, what it's challenged – You're the only person that I'm aware of that can talk about that. And I I, I wish you could clone yourself, but I really just want to get down to a lot of these questions because this is something that everyone seems to care about, whether they're for it or against it, or whether they're for it because they don't understand it or against it because they don't understand it. And I assume that's been your experience as well.
3: Absolutely. I mean, people have incredibly strong opinions about this law one way or the other, whether they actually understand it or not.
1: So what would you say is the number one, uh, I guess, um, myth about the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, that is circulating now that is very, very easy to rebut?
3: So the myth that I hear quite frequently as we travel around the country is that this is government insurance. And that's just not the case. Um, The Affordable Care Act, as we've talked about before, is this huge law that makes um, a bunch of different changes to several different systems. But really what we're talking about in most instances is still the sale of private insurance from companies that have been around for years. It's just that with the Affordable Care Act, there's now a little bit more regulation. There's some more uh, standardization. It's supposed to make it a little bit easier for us to be consumers of health care. So I would say about something that I still have to spend a lot of time talking about as we travel around um, in that this is, this is not government health insurance.
1: So I I pulled up a couple of websites that have the biggest myths about Obamacare. I can't tell whether the sites are slanted or not, but they seem to be generic questions. And I want to dive into the cancer part of this at some point because that's clearly relevant to our conversation and our audience. And I also read something on Oregon, just screwed something up, and I think it's worth talking about. But this idea of, you know, if you like your health plan, you can keep it, does that – matter when you're employed and I know that people have been complaining or so I hear that employers are dropping policies so they don't have to do something can you explain that to me please
3: sure so there's a couple of different things that that you brought up so a lot of I shouldn't say a lot some employers are choosing to no longer offer health insurance to their employees and based on timing that decision has been blamed quite a bit on the Affordable Care Act. But the reality is, is that employers have never been required to provide health insurance to their employees. It was always just an added benefit. So to really blame the fact that employers are not making that decision on the Affordable Care Act is a falsehood. It's the employer's choice. Now, I will say this. Some employers have made the decision to stop offering health insurance time employees because what that means then is that those individuals can actually go into the marketplace and buy insurance and get financial assistance, whereas if they were offered insurance through their employer, they wouldn't be eligible for the financial assistance. So some employers are actually doing it to help their employees. But, again, if nobody's actually explaining that to folks, it's really easy to be confused and to think it's just about the Affordable Care Act causing employers to do this.
1: Right. So <clears throat> I guess it, the correlation just seems – I'm playing with advocate – the correlation just seems a little timely, that they would all of a sudden choose to not offer health insurance after the Affordable Care Act gets voted into law.
3: Sure, and I think, I mean, I do think that there, you know, there are some employers again who are doing this. I think Trader Joe's is a perfect example. They have stopped offering health insurance to their part-time employees. So again, the employees can benefit from it. Um, now that doesn't mean that all employees are, you know, being altruistic and doing great things. But large employers, if they choose to not offer health insurance to their employees, then they actually have to pay a fine. Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, there's – it's a little too easy to say just because of the timing issue that it's a causational factor.
1: Understood. And another one of the um, – <laughs> I like the way that you said that. The uh, Another one of the, the hot-button issues is that um, you know, you, you, you don't really have a, a choice. But ironically, you have tons of choices through the exchanges. And I could you just boil down what the exchanges are for our listeners?
3: Absolutely. So an exchange is just a, a big word for a health insurance marketplace. So the idea is that in these marketplaces, people will be able to go and shop for and purchase private health insurance. And when I say private health insurance, I mean insurance from companies like Aetna, Humana, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna. Um, So you're still buying private health insurance, but you're buying it through these marketplaces. And the benefit of buying it through the marketplaces is that these plans have to be vetted and have to – comply with a minimum level of coverage. So there's some quality control involved in what's being sold in the marketplaces. Also, in the marketplaces, people can get financial assistance based on income and family size. So if an individual has uh, an income, let's say, a $40,000 income per year, they would actually be eligible to get premium tax credits, which would lower the amount that they pay each month for health insurance. So there are some added benefits to buying through the marketplaces, but again, when somebody says, oh, I have an Obamacare plan, it's a little bit of a misnomer because they really don't. They have a plan from Blue Cross Blue Shield or Aetna. It's just that they bought that plan through the marketplace.
1: Right, so they may still be a client of Aetna or Cigna or Blue Cross, but they got it through the marketplace, which is basically just a big mall that you decide intelligently, presumably, to get the plan that's best for you.
3: Exactly, exactly.
1: So how have the insurance companies been responding to this? I would imagine they're thrilled to get more customers. I understand nearly 10 million Americans now have health insurance that didn't before.
3: That's correct. So we've seen a huge decrease in the uninsured rate. So obviously that's great for health insurance companies. Um, I I think that part of it is the law is still new. So the marketplaces have only been around for a year. And so for us to be able to really be able to see the big picture impact, it's going to take us a few years. Again, I just think about, you know, the the millions of people who now have insurance coverage that didn't have coverage before, and that's a plus in my book.
1: Right, clearly. And and again, looking at the disparity communities or the older populations, they you don't just have to do it online. You can actually pick up a phone, call a person, and they'll guide you through it, correct?
3: Absolutely. So in fact, there's a toll-free hotline. There's a paper application that somebody could get and fill out and mail in or fax in. And then there's also in-person assisters where people can actually sit face-to-face with somebody and get help going through the application and get help going through their policy options where they'll actually walk them through the differences between the different plans and the benefits and what they might need. So there are many ways to shop for for insurance through the marketplaces. I happen to be in the bad habit of just talking about it as as a web-based entity. Um, but it really isn't. And so if someone's looking for an in-person assister, they can actually just go to healthcare.gov and type in their zip code and all the people around them um, that are certified to be assisters will pop up.
1: Right. And and people are like, well, I can't afford that. Most people don't realize it's like it could be as low as 50 bucks a month, which is what you spend on Starbucks every week, Right.
3: Absolutely. So it all just depends on the level of coverage that you get, and the, the excuse me, the plan that you get. But with these financial assistance options, we're seeing insurance coverage be incredibly affordable when we compare it to what somebody would have to pay for their care out of out of pocket.
1: I was reading that if you're if you make less than fifteen thousand dollars a year or so, you can get it for free.
3: So I believe what you're talking about is Medicaid. Okay. Am I am I right?
1: Yeah, I mean, Medicaid, of course, is, you know, insurance paid for by the government. So if you can't afford to buy into the exchanges, you go on Medicaid. Is that how it works? What, is there a gap between that and Medicaid?
3: So here's the issue. So the Affordable Care Act, created this new category of people who were going to be eligible for Medicaid, and those are people who make under 138% of the federal poverty level. So this year, we're talking about $16,000. So if you made less than that, you'd be eligible for Medicaid. The problem is the Supreme Court got their hands on this law, and in 2012, essentially said expanding medicaid is voluntary for states so each state gets to choose whether or not they're going to expand their medicaid program what we ended up with is 27 states expanding medicaid and 20 states not expanding medicaid and three are kind of figuring it out for next year right so if you live in one of those states that's expanding medicaid then that's absolutely the case so if you make under 16,000, you get medicaid if you make over sixteen thousand, you can buy in the marketplace and get financial assistance. The I mean, it just sounds
1: yeah. it, it just sounds so straightforward. Um, but go on, I interrupt you. Sorry.
3: I was just going to say the problem is for those people that live in the twenty states that have chosen not to expand Medicaid, because if they make less than sixteen thousand dollars and they don't have some other issue, like a disability or they're a minor child, they're not eligible for Medicaid and they likely can't afford to buy in the marketplace. So you have a situation where somebody who's making, you know, $46,000 a year gets financial help, but somebody who's making $11,000 a year gets nothing.
1: Right, and someone who, we could talk about the penalties now, because if you whether or not you can't afford it, you need to have it by law. And what happens if you don't have
3: it? So that, what you're referring to is called the individual mandate. And basically you're correct in that starting this year, you have to have health insurance or pay a penalty. However, Health and Human Services has come back and said, okay, well, there's some exceptions to this rule. And one of the exceptions is for financial hardship. So if you would have been eligible for Medicaid, but your state didn't expand, they won't make you pay the penalty. But you still, just because you're not paying the penalty, you still don't have health insurance. So you don't have right. access to preventative services or scans or anything else that you might need.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah, I mean, again, I go I just go back to what I said before. It sounds very straightforward, um, why is there so much ridiculous blowback? What, is it really all just media hype and ignorance, or is, it, is there something here that's not so fabulous that we're not talking about?
3: So, I, I mean, if I had a straightforward answer to that, I'd be making a lot of money somewhere. Um, <laughs> but I do think, you know, I do think a lot of it is politics, certainly. Um, when you look at the states who chose not or that chose not to expand they're definitely um, tend to be run by republicans so so politics is certainly a factor um there are some states that have said well it'll just cost us too much money for us to expand medicaid frankly uh that that seems to be a falsehood because what we're seeing as the studies have come out is that it's actually a cost-saving measure for states to expand Medicaid, and that in the states that have chosen to expand, health care costs for everybody, even individuals who aren't on Medicaid, have ended up going down. So, you know, when it comes down to it, it really does seem to fall along political lines.
1: Right. Right. So I, was, I heard in the news today, I think it was on NPR, that, that the medical, I guess the primary care system in this country uh, is kind of a victim of success in the sense that all these millions of people with policies are actually performing preventative care and seeing their doctors, and a lot of doctor's offices are completely overwhelmed and there are now waiting lines. Is this something that is confirmed? Is this something that uh, we... we, we did they even plan that this was going to be a successful problem to have?
3: Um, well, I mean, I, for, I read the same reports and hear the same news reports that that you read, and and this wasn't a totally uh, unforeseen issue, and we know that because there's actually some provisions in the Affordable Care Act that are designed to encourage new medical school graduates to go into primary care. So what we've seen in the last couple of decades is a trend towards more healthcare professionals going into specializations and fewer doing sort of primary care general medicine. And so that's why we have fewer primary care physicians now. And so there's some incentive programs to have new grads go into primary care to help try to solve this issue. Obviously, that's a long-term fix. Right. And so, you know, we're, they're going to have to come up with some shorter-term solutions. But again, in, in my opinion, I think the idea that people are trying to access care and having to wait is so much better than the alternative of people not accessing care at all.
1: Right. And, and of course, time will tell if spreading the risk and spreading the, the health you know, costs across uh, a much larger, diverse population of, of well and sick individuals will pan out. But I, I did really want to focus on, obviously, young adults. Young adults are, mm-hmm. I would claim here, perhaps falsely on the show, is the generation that will benefit most from this new health care law. And it gives them an opportunity to potentially be a little less invincible because they may actually go... To a doctor. Is that fairly an accurate depiction?
3: I mean, I think your guess is as good as mine. Obviously, I don't have the crystal ball, but I do think that when we look long-term at the benefits of the Affordable Care Act, and, you know, if anyone's ever heard me give my Affordable Care Act talk, they've heard me say that my favorite provision is the one that says that people can't be denied buying a health insurance policy based on a preexisting condition, and they can't be charged more. So that one, that one segment of the law really changes the face of our health care system. So my hope is that young adults that are sort of growing up now, for lack of a better phrase, won't have to face all of the hardships that people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s have had to face when diagnosed with cancer in terms of trying to figure out how they're going to get health care coverage. Right. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's a really significant change to our system. I mean, certainly I think we're still going to face the challenge of getting 18-year-olds and 22-year-olds to go in to the doctor every year. I think that's always going to be a challenge. Um, but this makes it a little bit easier, hopefully.
1: Right. And, again, the extension to the age of 26. Are there, is there, are there any statistics on how many young adults under 26 are not on their parents' policy?
3: You know, I haven't seen any of those statistics. Um, but I mean, we do know that over 3 million young adults have coverage just because of the provision that says, they can stay on their parents' plan until they're 26. And that number is actually two years old, so I would guess that in the last two years that number has actually even increased. Um, but, again, the idea is that there's other options now, whereas before if somebody was diagnosed under 26 but had aged out of their parents' policy, they really right. didn't have any options to buy health insurance.
1: Right. So does that 10 million number of of people with head insurance include that 3 million that have been like either grandfathered in or instantly becomes part of their life for the next X years?
3: So it actually depends on which statistics you look at. Um, Some say yes, some say no. Really, all of this is a bit of a guessing game. Uh, But I think we've seen the uninsured rate go down like 15% in the last two years or in the last year, rather. So that's pretty significant.
1: So what does this mean for, I mean, obviously you touched on it before, but for the millions of people who have been, actually it's probably not millions, for the hundreds of thousands of young adults or children who have cancer that will grow into adulthood, um, no pre-existing condition means nothing. They can't even, if you sneeze the wrong way, there's nothing that they can do. They can't Correct. be denied. Has there or been any challenge more. To that? or charge or has there been, has there been any feedback or, or blowback against that fairly seemingly humanitarian law rule?
3: So again, it depends on who you ask. So a lot of times when politicians are talking about how horrible this law is, they talk about how horrible the law is and then someone inevitably asks that question, well, you know, don't you think people should be able to get health insurance? And It's like, well, yeah, that provision's okay. And so what it comes down to is in reality, some provisions are fine, some provisions are not fine. It's it's a political game at this point, in my opinion. Um, right. But we've also heard from leadership in Congress that a priority for next year is dismantling the Affordable Care Act. So part of the issue is that if you don't if you don't have any discrimination based on a pre-existing condition and everybody can buy insurance the risk has to be spread out in order for insurance companies to be able to stay afloat and do what they're designed right. to do and if you take away this requirement that we all have health insurance that breaks down the system And so that's the challenging part of news stories and, you know, these short segments or the talking heads on Sunday is that you can't just take this law in pieces. You have to look at it as a whole entity. And I'm not saying that this is a perfect law and that there's not things that should be fixed. Certainly there are some improvements we could make on it and in terms of its implementation.
1: So so as a cancer rights attorney, are there legitimately parts of this that are unconstitutional or is that just rhetoric that's going on Capitol Hill because of politics?
3: So, again, if I had those answers, I'd probably be making lots of money somewhere. I do think that, again, there are some, some places that could be fixed. The current issue that is going to be up in front of the Sup- Supreme Court this coming term is a wording situation in the law that says that the financial assistance is only available to exchanges run by the states. And in reality, what ended up happening is some states chose to run their own marketplaces, and some states are having their marketplace run by the federal government. So if the Supreme Court decides that based on this wording, people who live in the state's that have marketplaces being run by the federal government can't get that financial assistance. Right. So we're going to be in another situation where there are additional disparities based on what state you live in.
1: Right. And that I almost see like this massive diaspora of people going to the States where it is going to be covered just so they don't have to deal with this. I mean, it, it just, I'm glad that you were able to discuss this, you know, in in simple terms. And no one here is looking to get into the granular complexities of of litigation or politics. But just from a a, – I do want to talk about that briefly. Because you mentioned – I wanted to mention Oregon. They um, were going to have their own exchange, and they could not get their website up and running. So they went back to Mm -hmm. healthcare.gov. So that Mm -hmm. kind of is a weird way to – get everyone on the, you know, they're not going to be affected by that nuance of semantics. If they can't get their website up, everyone has to enroll through the federal exchanges.
3: Exactly. That's exactly it. And so if the Supreme Court rules in favor, you know, of the people that brought the lawsuit, people who live in Oregon because they couldn't get their website up and are now a federally run marketplace won't have access to those financial assistance options.
1: Right, so we just need to break the state websites of all the (laughs) states. Well, actually, what we really need to
3: have happen is we need states to, like, talk to people from Google and Amazon and Twitter and figure out how to work a website.
1: Yeah, exactly, make the website work. Well, that's another issue. We've got a few minutes left. I I want to go back to the beginning here because you're a cancer rights attorney, and I think that's really important because many people don't realize that there are attorneys focusing on cancer, legal rights, and legal health. Can you talk about that
3: industry? Yeah, so I I, I, I mean, there's definitely a select few of us that are focused on this issue. And the idea really behind it is that we don't think that people should have to have a law degree to understand what their rights are, especially once they've been diagnosed with a serious illness like cancer. There's enough on people's plates um, to have to cope with figuring out the laws and their rights shouldn't have to be one of them. So really what we focus on is educating individuals about what their rights are in various arenas, so be that health insurance or employment or estate planning, but really so that they can understand how to use the law to their benefit.
1: And and you've been working as a cancer rights attorney with your, uh, your sister and partner, Joanna, for many, many years now. And you've been a key, pivotal, you know, uh, I guess, um, an asset, a legitimate thought leader in this sector for the young adult cancer world. Have you found that young adults need this more, or is it just people don't know they can avail of it? And everyone could benefit from having a the access to a cancer rights attorney.
3: So I think everyone can benefit from it, and a lot of what we talk about, I think, is beneficial to individuals even before they get diagnosed. I do think that in the young adult world, it's really helpful to chat with people because oftentimes decisions are made sort of spur of the moment or their gut reactions without a huge amount of thought as to the consequences or the impact that those decisions might make or might have. And so it's it's really fantastic and very rewarding for us to talk to people in the AYA community because we can sort of help guide and potentially help people avoid some pitfalls that they might um, encounter.
1: So in, in the course of your career, what are the top issues people come to you needing help with?
3: So I would say the top three issues are understanding health insurance. So getting health insurance is only half the battle. Because if you don't understand how to use your health insurance, it's useless to have it. So kind of navigating your health insurance and really picking the right policies for you is, I think, definitely one of the top issues. Employment issues. So once you've been diagnosed, how do you work through treatment? How do you take time off? How do you go back to work? And that can be especially challenging for the young adult community because, Oftentimes they don't have 20 years of experience under their belts to fall back on. And then I think the third issue is finances. So, you know, Sam Fund said it best, um, cancer isn't free. So cancer is an expensive proposition, even if you have health insurance. And, again, in the young adult community, people don't always have tons of assets or huge amounts of savings, to fall back on. And so those three, I think, are the, the top issues that we spend the majority of our time talking about.
1: And, and you have some startling statistics when you speak about medical bankruptcy and the percentages there of most people who do file for medical bankruptcy have insurance, right? What are those numbers?
3: That is correct, yes. And that those are pre-Affordable uh, Care Act statistics, so that's from 2009. And so the hope is that because of the Affordable Care Act and its regulation of insurance companies practices and what insurance companies can actually sell people in their policies, we're hoping that that changes over time. But again, it's we're going to need 10 years post-Affordable Care Act likely for us to really be able to make that determination.
1: Right. So yeah, clearly cost. I mean, it's, I think it's just so important and, and, I mean, again, I've been working in this industry, you know, you've been in this longer than I have, but I just feel like most people don't even know that they have almost like the civil liberty to speak with a rights attorney. And like, why is that? And, And how can we clone the few of you that are out there?
3: Well, I think it's really just about spreading awareness that there are resources out there. And so We have tons of free resources on our website, which is just triagecancer.org. We do webinars. We love to be invited on our friends' radio shows to talk about these issues. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, you can generally find us on planes, trains, and automobiles traveling around the country trying to spread the news. Um, But definitely I think it's, it's really just about awareness and letting people know that there are resources out there the information is out there you just have to go to credible resources to get them
1: wow and listen if you
3: figure out how to clone us let me know
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm working on it i'm working on it i i can't thank you enough again we could do this show every monday and it wouldn't get tired because people just i just don't think people have the facts and again that tends to be the way that the world works at this point but again this is just stellar information, breaking it down, making it as easy as possible, at least understand. Just just amazing. So Monica uh, Bryant is the Chief Operating Officer for Triage Cancer online at triagecancer.org. Uh she uh what, what's your Twitter Twitter handle? Nav survivorship or something?
3: Nav Survivorship or at triage cancer.
1: Nav survivorship or at triage cancer. Thank you, Monica. Always a pleasure and we'll talk to you soon.
3: Thanks so much. Have a great rest of the week.
1: Okay. Happy holidays, Monica Bryan, Everyone. Well, uh, I noticed that my team here has been having some fun while I'm having a conversation, which is good. But uh, you guys are all covered under our policy, right? How does that work here? I should know these things. I, I, this, the president of the country. That's <laughs> something I hand
2: the uh, the woman at the
1: office when we go in. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, again, it, it. I do want to play devil's advocate. I'm fairly sure that there are. It's not all rosy and fabulous and there are issues there. But, you know, in terms of just breaking it down, it sounds like when you're talking about it so simply, um, it should be a little easier to at least have an objective conversation about. So the Affordable Care Act uh, on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, if you have any more questions, go to triagecancer.org. You can uh, chat with Monica and Joanna, her partner there, anytime on email. And uh, we hope you guys had as much fun as we did tonight learning about the Affordable Care Act. It is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell.
4: Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo,
2: you got it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay folks That's our show Our 331st broadcast We hope you had as much fun as we did Poking your stick At super Cancer
1: We'd like to thank our guests tonight Ben Riegel and Monica Bryant Of Triage Cancer Next week's show DoSomething.org Runs an amazing program called Give a Spit about Cancer National campaigns helping young people make tangible impact in their community. Anytime, anywhere. Join us as we welcome Mike Fantini to discuss Do Something's Give a Fit program and initiative that helps young people run cheap swapping drives to get folks in their communities signed up for the National Bone Marrow Registry. Survivor Spotlight on Michael Saperstein. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime online at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the Chemo Deck, on behalf of myself and the Stupid Cancer team here, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, and Sean Shapiro, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next Monday live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Have a great week.
2: And everybody's disturbing multiple tours, so...